0: In Matthew 16, Christ says Peter is the rock. But only a few verses later, we'll see Peter become a stumbling stone for Christ himself. What can we learn from this strong fisherman who overestimates his own strength? I'm joined here today by Joe Heschmeyer, who's the author of Shameless Popery, and he works for Holy Family School of Faith here in the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas. So, welcome, Joe. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. So, we're in our Lenten series. Last week, we delved into Lent through the eyes of Judas, and we talked about how both Peter and Judas um, deny Christ. And we talked about the Judas half of the equation last week. This week, we're digging into the Peter half of the equation and looking at Lent through the eyes of Peter.
1: Yeah, this is a special podcast for me because Peter is my confirmation saint and not without cause. He's someone who is near and dear to my heart, and I identify, especially, I think, with many of his weaknesses.
0: (laughs) So what are we wanting listeners to take away from today's podcast episode?
1: There are three things. The first one is Peter has his own idea of what Christ's reign should look like.
0: So practically, this means realizing that we're created in the image of God, not the other way around. So we're going to look at how to overcome the trap of co-opting Jesus into our mission and putting him into a personalized box of what we think Jesus should look like. Yeah.
1: The second is that Peter is an incredibly strong man, but he makes the mistake of overestimating just how strong he really is.
0: So we can't rely on our own strength to conquer sin. We can't white-knuckle our way into heaven. So instead, we have to surrender to Christ's strength and his incredible mercy.
1: Exactly. And the third is that Jesus loves Peter despite his messiness, in the midst of his messiness, you might Mm -hmm. say, and that he names Peter as head of the church here on earth as the first pope.
0: So we'll be looking at what we really need as Catholics when we talk about papal infallibility.
1: Exactly. And in particularly in more of a lenten context you can say, you mm-hmm. looking at what it looks like for the first pope to stumble through Holy Week.
0: Right. Part 1, your own personal Jesus.
2: Your own personal Jesus. Someone to hear your prayers. Someone who cares.
0: Peter has his own idea of what Christ should look like. Can you tell us about how this plays out in his life leading up to the passion and death of our Lord?
1: Yeah, so there's a great scene in Matthew 16. This is right after Jesus renames Simon to Peter, a name meaning rock, and says that he's the rock in which he's going to build his church. And we'll talk about this in part three. Right. But right after this, In Matthew 16, beginning with verse 21, it says that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So remember the context here. Peter's just confessed Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus has just declared himself the son of man. And so now he's unpacking that for them. He's explaining What it is to be the son of God, to be the son of man. Mm -hmm. These are very exalted sounding titles. And you might assume at first brush that these are titles that are immune from pain and suffering. But he shows immediately that that's not true. That the kind of God that he is, is a God who becomes man and suffers.
0: And this doesn't line up with what Peter thinks. The kind of God that he will be.
1: Exactly. And remember, Peter's got to be feeling pretty good about himself. Yeah. Because he just got an answer right on a pop quiz. (laughs) And so... You know when you, like, everything's going well and then you go one step too far? Yep. That's how it is for Peter. So he says, he takes Jesus aside to rebuke him. That's the incredible part. (laughs) He's just going to, like, politely correct God. (laughs) And he says, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Like, hey, don't worry. You're totally wrong about the cross. I totally know better than you do. Right, because the idea of Jesus' messiahship that he has... Mm -hmm is one that doesn't include the cross. Right. He has some real sense that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what it is to be the Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ is a Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah. Right, it means the anointed one. It's the Savior. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't look to Peter's understanding uh, like a God who suffers. Mm-hmm. So there were three figures that were anointed in the Old Testament. Priests, prophets, and kings. Mm-hmm. And so he recognizes in some sense that Jesus is priest, prophet and king. But it's a kingship without the cross. And Christ shows he's going to reign from the cross. So that's the first real sense we have mm-hmm. that Jesus and Peter both agree that Christ is king, right. but have really different understandings of what that kingship ought to look like.
0: Yep. Yeah. And we're I mean we're all guilty of this, of guilty of co-opting Jesus into our mission and then falling into the trap of creating God in our own image and not the other way around. Um, So American novelist Anne Lamott, she has a quote where she writes, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the people that you do. So how can we overcome the trap that Peter has fallen into in this instance?
1: Yeah, you know, there's an Abraham Lincoln quote, just to pile on the quotations here. (laughs) Uh, He's alleged to have said, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. My concern is to be on God's side. And so whenever we're trying to get God on our side of an issue,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: we're in trouble. When we start to say, oh, God's a Republican or God's a Democrat or God's whatever. We have like, these are our categories. Mm -hmm. These are man-made and we're going to try to put God in this box. Yep. Now, on some issues, obviously, if it's like, should we do this evil thing or not, you know.
0: (laughs) God's probably going to say no to that one. Right. Right.
1: But rather than starting with, here's what I want, or here's Mm -hmm. my worldview, or here's my agenda, here's my plan of life, to instead just, just as much as we can, start from scratch and say, God, what do you want for me? And we do this in big ways and small. You know, I I mentioned politics. Mm -hmm. But I think we also do this a lot in discernment. Some opportunity will come up and we'll really want it. Mm -hmm. And we'll be like, well, God would want me to have this. God wants me to be happy. You know, so I, I know of a woman who got divorced from her husband mm-hmm. because she said, well, wouldn't God want me to be happy? Okay. And so rather than saying, what does God say about divorce? Yeah. She says, what do I want to do? And surely God will have the same plan that I do. Right,
0: right. Which is an easy to, I mean, it's easy to then make God want whatever you want. Surely God would want what I want.
1: Yeah. And so we see this, this conflict, you know, we're talking about here the this conflict between Jesus's view of Jesus mm-hmm. and Peter's view of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, as we get into Holy Week, we really see that play out. I love the scene where the legion of soldiers comes to arrest Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Peter pulls out a sword and he lobs off the ear of Malchus. Yeah. And it's such an insane plan Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) that
1: it really captures all of our plan. Like Peter single-handedly with a sword... (laughs) is going to try to keep Jesus from his destiny. Right. To keep Jesus from the cross. To keep Jesus from the thing that he prayed to the Father about. Yeah. That, oh, no, don't trust in prayer. Fall asleep during that time. Instead, <laughs> trust in your sword. Mm-hmm. Trust in your own strength. Mm-hmm. And and so we see the absurdity of Peter relying on his own strength there. Because what he should have been doing in the garden was praying.
2: Mm-hmm. What
1: he's instead doing is turning to the sword, which is a symbol of his own strength. Yeah. And... An absurd symbol of his own strength. He's obviously, even in a worldly sense, mm-hmm. completely outgunned or yeah. out, outsorted right, right. by the Romans. He's not going to win that as a fight. Mm-mm. And it's just really a mercy they don't just lob off his head.
0: Yeah, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I think in thinking about prayer in our own interior life, like how many times if I had to be told in spiritual direction, like, you pray to form your will to God's, not the other way around.
1: Exactly. So... God wants to know, I mean, he already knows, but he wants you to express Mm -hmm. what your thoughts, fears, desires, hopes, dreams, all those things are. Right. It isn't that he's apathetic to that. And oftentimes, I mean, let's be clear, the Holy Spirit really does frequently work through our desires. Mm -hmm. So it isn't that our desires are irrelevant. Right. It may be that we want something because that desire has been placed on our heart by God. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing for discernment Mm -hmm. to say, hey... I'm wanting this thing. Is this what you want for me? And the first and easiest way to check that is look at objective revelation. Yeah. If if it's some evil thing, if it's like, I want to have this affair or, you know, I want to take this money from the bank. <laughs> yeah, <line> there's <laughs> pretty good evidence there that God isn't going to suddenly change his mind and say, you know what, 10 commandments, let's make it nine. For you, I'll cut you a deal. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's not how
0: right. Yeah, it's God works is not how to discernment.
1: exactly. Yep,
0: yep. So you've talked about this too, and how how Peter's vision of Christ in the box that he wants to put Christ in doesn't involve suffering, but Christ knows He has to suffer, and Peter doesn't want his friend to suffer. And Jesus could have been tempted by Peter's advice. He's a, you know fully human and fully God, and there's a desire to avoid suffering in the human tendency. So how can we, especially during Lent, understand the importance of suffering for Christ? And what that means in our own life.
1: I want to use an image here of childbirth. Okay. So there's a radical realization. So, you know, politically, Mm -hmm. a lot of philosophies are built on this kind of social contract idea Mm -hmm. that we are these radically autonomous individuals who are Mm -hmm. totally self-sufficient, who then freely enter into a social contract where we trade some of our self-sufficiency for the goods of society. Yep,
0: in exchange.
1: You get this from everything from, like, libertarian to, like, John Locke. You know, it's very deep in the American psyche. Mm -hmm. The problem with it is it's totally fictitious. None of us were radically free individuals who just walked into society one day and said, hey, let's make a deal. I am. Yeah. Yep. And so none of us entered this imaginary social contract. Mm -hmm. All of us were born what Alistair MacIntyre calls rational dependent animals. Okay. So... We come into this world as fetuses, as mm-hmm. embryos. Mm-hmm. We're totally dependent. Right. We also come into this world through suffering. Mm-hmm. So like childbirth mm-hmm. is one of these like famously uncomfortable, unpleasant yes. experiences. <laughs> so any worldview that says suffering is bad, mm-hmm. that just per se suffering is to always be avoided, you'll mm-hmm. sometimes hear people say that we should maximize pleasure and mm-hmm. minimize suffering. Mm-hmm. And so anything that causes suffering is viewed as an evil just of itself. Yeah. Such a view would seemingly eradicate the next generation of right. human beings. Right. Because they all come about through a pretty painful process. Yeah. That's how they're brought into the world yeah. from their mother's womb. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've sat in a labor and delivery room and watched the birth of a child and thought, oh, gosh. Like, I mean, it's, the payoff is absolutely beautiful and worth it. And And any mother who's given birth will tell you, like, yeah, it was absolutely worth the pain. But it is a painful road to get to that moment.
1: And you know, pregnancy is no walk in the park. Right. The teenage years of raising a kid are no walk in the park. Nope. For that matter, infancy and toddler. There's not really right. a walk in the park. No. Time Stage of, of this. human life. <laughs> so, you know, new life comes mm-hmm. about in a beautiful way, but in a way that involves a lot of suffering and pain. Right. And I think that we can approach the spiritual life in the same way. Mm-hmm. That oftentimes is in these intense moments of suffering. That the real growth, the real new life forms. Mm-hmm. Malcolm Muggeridge, who was the one who made Mother Teresa famous, he, right. he the journalist, mm-hmm. he said towards the end of his life that looking back over his life, he found that the times of the most growth mm-hmm. had also been the times of the most intense pain. Yep. And I think there's something mysterious about that, but something mm-hmm. certainly true about that. Now, so we know that just from human experience, right? We know that from every human life brought into the world in the ordinary way. We also know it from Scripture. You know, we know about the problem of suffering and we know that there's something mysterious about suffering Mm -hmm. in Job. Job raises a problem of suffering and God sort of says, I'm God, you're not. You Mm -hmm. don't know the full story. Right. Right. It's the kind of quilt view. So if you look at the quilt Mm. on the outside, it's very beautiful. Yeah. We see the quilt from the other side, and it often doesn't look like it makes any sense. Right,
0: right. Like a tapestry that's woven, and when you turn it around, it's completely discombobulated, and there's no order.
1: Right. Things often seem discombobulated. Mm. They often seem disordered. But Christ doesn't just neatly wave this away. Right. He enters into it, and he enters into suffering in the most profound way imaginable with mm-hmm. his passion and death on the cross
0: mm-hmm.
1: never has there been an innocent victim like christ
0: right um when we we were married by father Jamie urs who's a priest out of topeka and a homily that he's given that i've, I've tapped back into many times throughout my life is when he says um, the greater your capacity for love the greater your capacity for suffering
1: and i think we know that again experientially mm-hmm. I mean, to love someone is to be vulnerable to them.
0: Right. C.S. Lewis says this in, like, The Four Loves.
1: Yeah. So the only people who are free from suffering Mm -hmm. are those in heaven or in hell. Right. You know, the only ones who don't make themselves vulnerable in in a certain sense are those in hell who've completely shut themselves off. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's a different kind of suffering that brings about.
0: Yeah. It's not like they're free from it. And
1: then, so the other alternative is just ultimately heaven. Right. To be in a place where vulnerability is totally safe. Mm -hmm. We don't live... In that place, we live in a middle place mm-hmm. where the more we bear our hearts, the more likely it is that those hearts will be wounded or hurt or destroyed. Mm-hmm. But that's just part of the mystery of love, and, and there's no getting around it. Mm-hmm. The only alternative is not to love, right. not to make yourself vulnerable. Right, and that's ultimately a miserable option.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's better to have a heart that can be broken than to have a heart that's unbreakable.
1: So, to take a little bit of scripture in Colossians one, mm-hmm. Saint Paul talks about making up in his own sufferings, what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a mysterious phrase, but let's do our best to unpack it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, when he talks about what's lacking in the suffering of Christ, he's not saying Christ didn't do a good enough job.
0: Right, that he failed or forgot something.
1: Right, or that he didn't suffer enough mm-hmm. in a certain sense. Christ, the head, mm-hmm. has suffered perfectly. Right. What remains is for Christ's body, the mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. us, us to participate in the cross. We want Christ to take the cross for us. We want to say, we don't have to bear the cross because Christ bore the cross. Mm -hmm. And you'll find theologies outside the Catholic Church that teach that. Yep. But instead, Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. So he doesn't bear the cross so we don't have to. He bears the cross so that our crosses have meaning.
0: Part two, our strength or his. Peter is a strong man, but he has the temptation to rely on his own strength he is tempted to solve his own problems, and he overestimates how strong he really is. So how do we see this playing out through Peter's life in scripture?
1: You know, I think it's good that you started by mentioning that he's a strong man. Mm -hmm. This is someone who is a fisherman. Mm -hmm. This is someone who would have been physically strong, who Mm -hmm. seems to have a lot of interior resolve, Mm -hmm. and even seems to have a lot of faith. You know, we often give Peter, I think, a pretty bad rap. Yep, agreed. We talk about Peter walking on water and then falling and yeah. having to cry out for God's help. Well, how many of us have even walked on water? <laughs>
2: yeah, none so,
1: have not. Right. So even though there are limitations to mm-hmm. Peter's strength, limitations to his faith, limitations in all of these ways, he's still head and shoulders above most of us. Yep. And so with that in mind, it's easy to understand why he falls into the trap of relying on his own strength because he's been given a lot of gifts and talents yeah. by God. And so... He has the courage to say, You know, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come out to you on the water. And yeah. he sees Jesus walking on the water. That's an incredibly bold sort of statement. Mm-hmm. We see this kind of boldness in Peter. And he briefly walks on water. Yeah. And so, Luke 22, I think we get one clear sense of how Peter may be over alive on his own strength. Mm-hmm. So, Jesus says to him, and this is verse 31 Simon, Simon, behold. Satan demanded to have you all, that he might sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you, and this is you singular, Mm -hmm. that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brethren. Okay. Jesus has just said, there's a cosmic battle going on, Mm -hmm. and Satan is after the 12 of you. He wants to sift you like wheat. And I've prayed for you. Jesus is saying this. I have prayed for you individually Mm -hmm. that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brethren. So he's giving him a special commission. We'll talk about this more in the next part. Mm -hmm. But he's showing Peter there's a lot more going on than what meets the eye. And Peter has this kind of hilarious response. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He's just like, hey, don't worry about me. Like, (laughs) you might think you need to pray for me, but (laughs) I'm actually really tough.
0: (laughs) Which is such a gross overestimation of your own strength because, like, God is praying for you, dang it. Like, that's not small.
1: Right. I mean, like I said, I get it. I get where he'd just be like, hey, don't worry, I, I got this. Dick I got Jesus. this. He's he's this classic guy. Yep. And Jesus responds him by saying, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you three times mm-hmm. deny that you know me. So he gives him this kind of terrifying response. Of yeah. Like, no, you're gonna crack. Yep. And then Peter still, still is like, no, 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 don't worry, I got it. (laughs) And so it's only when he does, in fact, deny Jesus three times Mm -hmm. that I think he sees that he's not as tough as he thinks he is. Mm -hmm. Because, and again, you know, we mentioned in the last segment that he comes to the garden with a sword and thinks he's going to just fight off an entire legion of Roman soldiers. Yeah,
0: very confident in himself. Right.
1: Uh, Painfully overconfident, we might say. yeah And so, you know, he has the bravery, maybe overconfidence, that he does, in fact, follow Jesus to Mm -hmm. the high priest's house. True. You know, we talk about, again, we talk about Peter denying Christ three times. Mm -hmm. The other ten apostles, well, nine of the apostles, weren't there Mm -hmm. because they ran away.
0: Yeah, he makes it a step, many steps further than a lot of them did.
1: Right, nine run away. Judas has betrayed him, which leaves two of them who actually make it to Mm -hmm. the high priest's house. Mm -hmm. And then one of them is put on the spot, Peter, and he cracks. Yep. But he's put himself in a position where he's overestimated his own strength.
0: Right.
1: If we wanted to draw a lesson in the moral life, Mm -hmm. we might talk about near occasions of sin. Okay. One of the common ways people screw up Mm -hmm. is overestimating their own strength, their own ability to avoid temptation, avoid sin. Mm -hmm. You say, oh no, like even though I've had problems drinking too much in the past, I'll just go out for a few drinks and it won't be a problem. Right. Or... Yeah, I have a chronic problem struggling with pornography, Mm -hmm. but I'll be on the internet at 2 a.m. by myself. Yeah, and it'll
0: be fine, because I'm past that. Right. I'm better than that. I'm stronger than that now. Right, I've made it through things, and I won't fall again.
1: One of the really brilliant parts of the 12 steps Mm -hmm. is a recognition of your own weakness. Mm -hmm. And there's something that's very abhorrent to our pride, and in a lot of ways to our culture, yep. about saying, I'm too weak to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. But it's only when we have the ability to do that, that we can really allow healing to happen, and we can really be strengthened by Christ. So St. Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about how he was begging God three times to remove the thorn from his flesh, right. and Christ reveals that he's not going to do that, mm-hmm. because his grace is sufficient, and his power is made perfect in weakness. Yes.
0: So we see ourselves in Peter. I know I have seen myself in Peter where, like you said, like listening to his story and laughing and being like, oh my gosh, like how how far can you fall? And then realizing that I've fallen just that far, if not farther. So how can we discern in our lives if we're depending on our own strength? Like what are some red flags in the interior life that we're falling into that trap or starting to, to go that that way?
1: Look especially to how frequently and how quickly you turn to prayer, I would mm-hmm. say, in the face of temptation. Yep. So... When you sin, it helps to dissect your sin, not in a spirit of condemnation, Mm -hmm. but just to analyze it a little bit to say, okay, how did I get into that situation where I fell into that sin, especially if it's a chronic sin? Right. What are the kind of triggers that led to it? What are sort of the bad ways that I tried to cope with it when it popped up? Mm -hmm. And in the face of that, what I think you'll frequently uncover is instead of turning to God, I turn to myself. I maybe resisted even praying because I was too guilty right. to even pray or right. because it seemed like too small of a thing until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Or because I was so carried away by my passion, by my anger, by my lust, by my whatever. Right. That by the time that it was, you know, even in your head to pray, you felt like you were too far gone. Right. Those are all signs of having turned to yourself rather than to Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, we use the, the example of pornography before. That's a really good one. Like it's it's easy to beat yourself up if you fall in that sin and, and think, like, you know, I don't know how I got here. You know, I don't know. I just keep falling into this, and I don't know how it's happening. Like, there's a story to, like, there's a journey to the sin that you're committing. It's not just a, you know, oh, gosh, how did I get myself here kind of aspect of, or, like, way of thinking of things.
1: Right. So on the negative side, you have the reality that turning to yourself, mm-hmm. you're likely to fall. But another way we can talk about it is why does God allow these falls to yeah, happen?
0: Yeah, good question.
1: And one of the major reasons seems to be that it's catechetical; that it mm. teaches us mm-hmm. not to rely on ourselves. Right. So we can have sins of the flesh, or we can have sins of whatever kind, whether whether it be pornography or overeating or drinking too much, right. or you know, it's you a name huge and,
0: and. gamut of things. That right. Go wrong.
1: Any of these kind of sins, but especially sins with which there's sort of a shame attached,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: can really be good catalysts for us to avoid even bigger sins like pride. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean those sins are good. But there's a reason that Jesus lets Peter fall Mm
2: -hmm.
1: three times. And Peter ends up seemingly uh, being a better apostle, a better pope, a better leader. Once he goes through this painful process of having relied on himself, sinned in a serious way, and learned from it that he can't just rely on himself. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Had that never happened, maybe Peter would have gone his entire life with this crippling pride that would have impeded his ability right. to lead well.
0: Um, I'm reading the Ignatian Discernment of Spirits with my women's small group right now um, by Father Timothy Gallagher, and it digs into how it's really easy to fall into the trap of thinking, like, times of desolation are always bad. They're just dark parts of my life that aren't any good. But he spends a lot of time talking about how desolation and times of hard- hardship and darkness in our souls and our interior life are times to. To bulk up and to resist temptation and to think, how did I get here? And to hold on to the hope of the mercy that is to come. So they're not like a waste of time, essentially.
1: Exactly. And you know what? Like, if I can use a sports analogy. Yeah, please do. If you play a really tough team early in the season, Mm -hmm. you see the weaknesses that you have. Yep. In a way that if you've been playing easy teams and getting easy victories the whole time, you may have some really serious problems with, you know, the way you're playing or the team chemistry or Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But those weaknesses aren't really exposed until you're put on trial. Right. So the earlier that happens in some way, the better if you learn from it to say, oh, I'm weaker than I thought I was. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't
1: do this on my own. And then help me out, coach Jesus. Right.
0: Right. Show me the way. Uh, Practically, how can we depend on Christ's strength and mercy when it comes to those moments in our life?
1: One of the concrete ways is certainly confession. Mm-hmm. This is one of the tools that he gives us. Yep. Another is scripture that we just turn back to his word and say, what, what has he said? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we just sit and learn and listen. And then, of course, prayer. The more time we spend before him in intimate prayer, in times of mental prayer, in times of meditation, in times of just real conversation with him. You know, Jesus was telling Peter what Peter needed to hear. Right. But Peter wasn't really ready to listen to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of us as well. Either we're not even ready to have the conversation with him, or he tells us and we don't want to hear it, so we just shut it
0: out. Mm -hmm. And how many times have, especially stereotypically as Catholics who don't read the Bible or who are told, oh, Catholics don't read the Bible, have we prayed and said, Lord, like answer my prayers. What do you want from me? Like, I just need a sign. Show me the way. But our Bible sits dusty on a shelf. Like, it doesn't help us.
1: Exactly. It's closed. I I want to give an example, sort Mm -hmm. of calling myself out, if that's all right.
2: yeah, please do.
1: (laughs) Back in the day, I used to be a lawyer in Mm -hmm. D.C., and I blogged in my free time at Shameless Mm Popery. And so I would also go to Daily Mass. So I had some downtime, and I was working on the blog, Mm -hmm. and I had really hit a stride, and things were going really well. Yeah. And so I skipped Daily Mass to work on this (laughs) blog (laughs) post. And then I realized what I'd done, and I sort of thought, like, whose strength are you relying on here? Right,
0: right, yeah.
1: My old spiritual director used to say, you can't give what you're not receiving. Mm -hmm. So especially if you want to do things like evangelize, if you want to teach, even if it's just teaching your children.
0: Yeah, yeah, in a family situation. Mm -hmm. If
1: you're going to be giving, you need to be first receiving and receiving from the Master, Right,
0: right. Cardinal Sarah writes the the power of silence, which I've been digging into over Lent, and he has a, a quote in there when he's talking about how the antidote to everything in, that, is, that is swirling around in our interior life that is keeping us from Christ is, is sitting in silence with the open book of the Bible above our head like the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Mm-hmm. Beautifully put.
0: Part three, rock or stumbling block? Despite Peter's character flaws, Christ names him the head of the church here on earth through the papacy. The Catholic Church doesn't require personal sinlessness as a prerequisite for the clergy, and we've discussed this in our previous Lenten episode on Judas. So why does God choose men so obviously flawed? Because Peter isn't the first person in the Bible to be called by God and struggle with sin.
1: You know, it's hard to say for sure. I actually just wrote an article about this for Catholic Answers magazine. Mm -hmm. One answer, it seems to me, is that it's actually really encouraging for all of us because each of us has been chosen by God despite our total unworthiness, Mm -hmm. despite our our really crippling character flaws. Right. And if we looked around and every leader in church or every leader in, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. like whether it's society or whether it's the church or whatever context, Mm -hmm. if everyone in charge of leading just had this like perfect spotless life, how depressing and overwhelming that would be.
0: Right, yeah.
1: So, there's been an epidemic uh, caused by social media of increased depression. Yep. And there are a lot of theories about why this is. But one of the theories, it seems to especially hit teenage girls. hmm One of the theories is that these girls are going through really bad, awkward years. <laughs> I
2: can and, speak to that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wasn't a teenage girl, but I, I was certainly <laughs> awkward enough. I, I certainly can relate to that part as well. But when you look around and you have everyone else's filtered Instagram and right. picture-perfect life, right. and you seem to be the only person struggling, mm-hmm. it's so intensely isolating, Yep. and you just feel like a, such a miserable failure of a human being yep. that it actually has increased things like suicide as well as clinical depression. Right. Fortunately, unlike most religions the founders, excluding our Lord, obviously, and our Lady, Mm -hmm. the founders of Judaism and Christianity in terms of the human actors God's working through,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: have serious flaws that the Bible doesn't shy away from mentioning. Right. You know, King David is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a whole segment that just focuses on his sin Mm -hmm. with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. He has adultery and... It leads to murder to cover right. it up. But even before that, if you read carefully the first verse of that chapter, Second mm-hmm. Samuel 13, yep. it says that at the time when kings are out on campaign, David has sent his officers into the field while he lounges around gawking at ladies right
0: yeah not the not not the prime example of how to live a christian life at that point in his life
1: right and so he's already just derelict in his duty he's not acting like a king he's not acting like a virtuous man right he's acting like kind of a schlub
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: i think there are a lot of guys in the culture today who kind of live that life that they're called to greatness and Mm -hmm. instead are just looking at women from their house. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah, that's a really good parallel. I mean, think about, it. this is a stereotypically like associated with women, but look at Martha in the Bible. You know, Christ is coming to her house, her sister Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and listens and is treated as an apostle. And Christ turns to Mary, who's being a busybody and making sure everything's set to go and organizing and cleaning and cooking. And he invites her into discipleship with him. And that doesn't necessarily involve busyness and cramming your schedule and being focused on everything on a to-do list. So yeah, Bible's full of sinners for sure.
1: So it's easy to say, oh, here's someone who reminds me of me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: whoever it is in scripture. If, if you're really paying attention to scripture, you can find someone who reminds you of yourself, maybe yeah. not in a way you're proud of, right? <laughs> but can still say, oh, look. God still chose this person Mm
2: -hmm. and wanted
1: to make a great saint out of them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so if they can be both devoted to the life of sanctity and struggle with this character flaw, with this sin, with whatever the case, Mm -hmm. then maybe he can make me a great saint too.
0: Right. If he can work with them, what can he do with us? So we've talked a lot about Matthew chapter 16 throughout this episode and the phrase, you're Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. There's a lot of controversy that swirls around that phrase. And we lose, again, we lose a lot in the English translation. So can you dig into the Greek meaning of the word rock and how that plays out in Peter's struggle to overestimate his own strength?
1: Before we even dig into the Greek, let's dig into the Aramaic.
0: Okay, yes, even deeper. (laughs) So
1: to understand Matthew 16, go to John 1. Mm -hmm. In John 1, I believe it's verse 42, Peter is brought to Christ. Andrew, his brother, brings Mm -hmm. him to Christ. And Peter looks at him and actually has a prediction of Matthew 16.
2: Mm.
1: He tells him that he's going to change his name in the future. He doesn't change his name right there. Right. But he says to Simon that he will be called Kepha, uh, which is translated the rock. Mm -hmm. And so John includes the Aramaic word. And so we know that this was originally said in Aramaic. Right. Not originally in Greek. Mm -hmm. This is important for a lot of Catholic Protestant um, exegetical disputes. Okay. Because kapha just means rock. So he just says, you are rock, and mm-hmm. upon this rock I'll build my church. Okay. This becomes complicated in the Greek. <laughs> yes. Because there's a Greek word for rock, petra. hmm Petra is feminine. And so for most nouns, that doesn't matter. Right. But for a personal name, you don't want... Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to give Peter a girl's name <laughs> in Greek. And so Matthew...
2: Mm-hmm
1: translating the aramaic into greek inspired translation to be sure right right. uses petros Mm. which is a rarer word that also means rock that's in the masculine right solves the problem in other instances in greek not in the ionic greek spoken in the first century Mm -hmm. there is sometimes a difference between petros and petra okay being a small and large rock and so protestants will sometimes say oh look the rock here isn't actually peter mm-hmm. it's his confession of faith it's jesus it's anything right. else they can think of besides, besides peter him. because that would be a papal right kind of interpretation right but i want you to hear what actually is going on in matthew 16 and i think you'll see that that's not really a sustainable interpretation okay so to give it a little bit of context peter has just confessed christ he says you are the christ the son of the living god mm-hmm. And then Jesus turns and says to Peter, Blessed are you. So, okay, that's directed towards him. Right. Simon, he calls him by name, son of Jonah. So just as Simon confesses Christ mm-hmm. as the son of God, Jesus, as it were, confesses Peter as the son of Jonah. Right. There's a whole layer of meaning to what it means to say son of Jonah mm-hmm. because the actual father of Peter is John, not Jonah. As we know from John's Gospel, Especially John 21, 15 to 17, there are four different times where the father of Simon is referred to as John. Okay. So what does it mean to be a son of Jonah? Yeah. Well, earlier in Matthew 16, Jesus refers to the sign of Jonah as the death and resurrection. Okay. And so son of is, it's sort of lost in the English as well. Mm-hmm. So um, Barnabas, for example, is called son of encouragement. Okay. Son of encouragement doesn't make any sense right. in English exactly. <laughs> right. Um, bar mitzvah, Uh the, so we think of bar mitzvah as a Jewish ceremony. Mm -hmm. It originally just meant anyone 13 or older. Okay. And the word means son of the commandments.
0: Okay. So
1: to be immersed Mm -hmm. in the commandments Mm -hmm. of God is to be a son of the commandments. Right. It
0: doesn't mean that the commandments is the name of your father on your birth certificate.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And so to call Simon, the son of Jonah seems Mm -hmm. to be to say that he's immersed in the passion death of Christ. Right. Which is a fascinating thing, given how weak yeah. we're going to see Peter's ability to accept the passion and yeah. death actually is. As
0: opposed to it.
1: So he calls him Simon, son of Jonah. Mm-hmm. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, again, the emphasis is on Peter. Mm-hmm. You are Peter. And on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whenever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whenever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is incredibly personal. Yeah, yeah. And it's repeatedly, he's going to give Peter the kingdom. Or the keys of the kingdom, rather. Mm-hmm. He's going to give him the ability to bind and loosen on earth. Yeah. He's, you know, whatever he binds and loosens on earth. And so the idea that amidst something like 10 personal references to Peter in yeah. a three span period,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we're to believe that Jesus, without any clear signal... Changes the referent Mm -hmm. from Peter to himself or to the confession or to whomever. Right. And the mere fact that Protestant exegetes don't agree on who the rock is if it's not Peter Mm -hmm. points to how weak this interpretation is. Yep. And it's all built on the idea that Jesus is using this subtle Greek play on words between Petra and Petros in Greek when he's not. Because we know from John 1 he's speaking Aramaic.
0: Right. So yeah, he's not doing a play on words because that wasn't even the language that he was speaking.
1: And so if you think of this in the Aramaic, mm-hmm. it's just Kepha and Kepha. Like uh-huh. it's not Petro, petros. There's one word for rock. Yeah. And he's clearly using both of them in the same place. Mm-hmm. Because we know the name he gave him in Aramaic because John tells us. Right. And St. Paul uses it repeatedly to describe Peter. hmm And we know that's the word for rock. Right. So the whole Petros, Petra thing is built on a faulty assumption
0: yep so Protestant brothers and sisters, they also don't see eye to eye with Catholicism when it comes to papal infallibility. So what do Catholics believe when it comes to the infallibility of the Pope? And it's not the anything, for instance, like anything Pope Francis says is right. Like Pope Francis should put his, put his guess in on the March Madness and, and win the office, you know, bracket because he's going to be okay. And that's not what we mean by papal infallibility. infallibility. So what do we mean? And where did the reformers miss with this when they critiqued this belief back in the 1500s and before?
1: There's a great scene in the book, Brideshead Revisited, Mm -hmm. in which the fiancé, who's Protestant, Mm -hmm. is going through instruction to become Catholic. And the priest is trying to grill him, Rex, uh, to see what he knows about Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And he says, suppose that the Pope says it's going to rain this afternoon, and you go out in the afternoon and it's not raining. What would that mean for papal infallibility? Uh What would you make of that? And Rex said, well, I suppose we would just have to say that it's, in, that it's raining invisibly and that we're all just too sinful to see it. And that's no. just not... <laughs> not it. <laughs> right. And so the priest is just like dumbstruck because of how, how badly Rex understands everything right. in Catholicism. Right. But so often this is kind of the parody mm-hmm. of papal infallibility.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Papal infallibility means that the Pope isn't going to bind on the faithful something sinful something heretical mm-hmm. and this is very simply understood for this reason it's a sin to believe in heresy it's a sin to right. hold to a heretical belief right it's also a sin to go into schism from the church in galatians 5 19 to 20 mm-hmm. when saint paul's talking about mortal sins that keep you out of heaven yeah he mentions schism yeah and so we don't have the option of going into schism
2: right
1: and we don't have the option of subscribing to heresy Mm-hmm. Papal infallibility, best understood, is a negative power. It's a promise by God that no matter how bad the Pope might be,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: he's never going to hold the entire church in a position where they have to hold heresy or go into schism, since both of those are sins, and you're never in a position where you have to commit sin.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And so this is something Protestantism lacks. There's a sort of catch-22 where they have to say, Yeah, schism's bad. Yeah, it's condemned by the Bible. Yeah, in John 17, Jesus prayed we'd all be one. Yes. But we can't actually do the thing he told us to do. Right. Because it would involve heresy. As if Jesus didn't know enough to know what the future would look like.
0: Right. Right.
1: And so papal infallibility, and more broadly, the infallibility of the church, Mm -hmm. just says... That's an irrational position. Mm-hmm. You never have to hold that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean the Pope's going to be the world's greatest theologian. Nope. It doesn't mean that every utterance that comes from the mouth of every Pope is going to be just held de fide, meaning like of the faith by, right. by Catholics. Okay. And there are plenty of examples mm-hmm. where Popes have said things that were maybe inaccurate or, or needed correction. Right. And more broadly, and that's just talking about faith and morals. Right, right. You'll also notice not every pope is canonized.
0: Yeah, good point.
1: So another mistake is sometimes this means that the pope is without sin mm-hmm. or that the pope never falls. The infallibility being talked about is a much more restricted thing. Right. It's about the definition in faith and morals.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, if you want an example of it, look how many times John Paul II went to confession. And you know, he's canonized and did incredibly beautiful work in the papacy. And, I mean, he didn't think that he was above the sacrament of confession
1: yeah he was weekly in confession right so he was clearly doing yeah. something and he wasn't just going in there to be like <laughs> well,
0: so father how's the weather <laughs> exactly yeah we we all sin and fall short I think the popes included yeah
1: so the reformers they miss mm-hmm. this belief you know i i mentioned before that there is a catholic answers article that i yes. recently wrote on the papacy as both a rock and a stumbling block mm-hmm. and in it i quote john calvin in the mm-hmm. institutes of christian religion He makes fun of Catholic appeals to papal authority in Luke 22. We heard Luke 22 a second ago, where Jesus tells Peter to strengthen his brethren. Right. I love this passage Mm -hmm. in talking about the papacy. Because oftentimes we talk about Matthew 16, and we imagine just Peter the rock, unstoppable. Mm -hmm. Well, a few verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. He's making a pun on the fact he's just named him the rock by recognizing that he's not always a good
0: rock yeah he's tripping over him
1: (laughs) right well a better understanding of the papacy i think can be derived of luke 22 okay in there the apostles are arguing among themselves Mm -hmm. as to who is the greatest yep and jesus says that the greatest is the one who will serve Mm -hmm. and then he turns to peter and he commissions him to serve even the other apostles Mm -hmm. so they are leaders in the church because they're the servants of the church right Peter is the first pope because he's the servant of the servants of God. Yeah. And so his job is to strengthen his brethren. Mm-hmm. He's to serve them. And it's that notion of servant leadership, yeah. even relative to the other apostles, mm-hmm. that gives us a clear sense of what the papacy ought to look
0: like. Right, right.
1: So John Calvin, mm-hmm. he mocks Catholic appeals to this passage, like I said. And he says, that, quote, the thing is too childish in itself to need an answer. For if they insist on applying everything that was said to Peter to the successors of Peter, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it will follow that they are all Satan's, because our Lord once said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. It is as easy for us to retort the latter, saying, as for them to adduce the former. So in other words, if you're going to say, the popes are the successors of Peter the Rock, Uh you're going to have to also say, the popes are the successors of Peter the Stumbling Block, who gets told, Get behind me, Satan.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Well, That's just true. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) Like, what
1: Calvin's missing is that a proper understanding of the papacy says yes. Mm -hmm. So, Father Joseph Ratzinger, early on in his theological career, Mm -hmm. puts it this way. Has it not remained this way throughout all church history that the pope, the successor of Peter, has been Petra, rock, Mm -hmm. and Scandalian, stumbling block, Mm -hmm. rock of God and stumbling stone all in one? Yep. And so... Of all people, Ratzinger would come to know this very personally. Yeah, like he, he would see his own sin yeah. more than anyone outside of the you know, Vatican City would right. have ever seen it. He would know the little ways that he would struggle to respond to God. Mm-hmm. And so no matter how great the Pope is, this dynamism is always in play. Mm-hmm. Because these are the kind of men that God chooses to lead his people. I don't know if we've mentioned this before or not, but in the Holy Family, I'm always struck by the fact yep. that the head of the Holy Family is the only sinful member of the family.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: So it isn't that sinlessness is a prerequisite for leadership no. in the church or in the family. You know, we were talking earlier about what can we learn from this. Mm-hmm. All of us are called to be leaders in some sense, whether that's as a parent or within your job mm-hmm. or as an evangelist to be a witness is to lead others to Christ. So we're all called to be leaders. So thank God that he chooses such unworthy leaders. Right. Because it means that he's chosen us.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've to- we covered three topics when we we're discussing Peter today in today's podcast.
1: Yeah, the first is that we can't have our own personal Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm. As much as we love Johnny Cash. <laughs>
1: exactly. It doesn't
0: work out in the theological interior life.
1: The second <laughs> is that we can't just rely on our own strength.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It'll give out. It'll fail. Yep. And the third is that Christ knew Peter struggled, but still chose him as head of the church here on earth. Mm -hmm. We don't have to pretend church leaders are perfect. We don't have to pretend that they're sinless. But we can instead thank God for the fact that he chooses unworthy leaders because he's chosen every one of us Mm -hmm. in some sense as an unworthy leader.
0: Yep. If if Christ calls Peter, knowing he sins and gives him a mission, Christ is also calling us and giving us a mission. So thanks for joining us on the episode today, Joe. Thanks for your time. Join us next week where we'll be discussing Lent Through the Eyes of John the Baptist. So let's close in a prayer.
1: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.